And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Thank you. Oh, all right. Let's pray, and we'll dive into this passage of Scripture. Are you surprised I have nothing to say before we pray? Yeah, yeah, suffer that. Huh. Ah, let's just pray. <laughs> Lord, I want to thank you so much for bringing us here uh, into this place together as a local church family. I want to thank you for bringing believers around the world together this morning on your day, the Lord's day for the purpose of worship and of sanctification. Lord, how amazing it is to think that uh, that you are drawing so many people to yourself around the world, all together on Sunday morning. Lord, as we dive into the text that you've given us for today, we want to ask that you open our eyes and give us ears to hear minds to understand what you have to say, and through the proclamation of your word this morning, we want to ask that you conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, more and more, that you increase our knowledge about who you are and what you are doing. God, we love you, and thank you for the opportunity to glean from your word this morning. We we do not deserve your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now we remember in 1 Corinthians so far, that uh, we have, we've seen the purpose. We saw this in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul's purpose for, for writing this type of letter to the church at Corinth is, is to increase the maturity of the congregation to grow their knowledge of Christ's person and work. And this maturing in the faith actually leads the congregation to unity. That, that is Paul's purpose in writing 1 Corinthians because there are divisions in the church. Now prior to his writing of this letter, he, he, he writes this letter on his third missionary journey toward the beginning of his third missionary journey. He was in Corinth planting this church in the house of Titius Justus on his second missionary journey. Um, and it is on his second missionary journey he set the example of faith that he wanted the Corinthian believers to emulate. And we get at this example this morning. Now, if you are curious, how many of you are real visual learners? Yeah, okay. So if you are curious and you want some visuals like they go along with Paul's second missionary journey and his trip to Corinth and his letter to Corinth, I have this cool reader here. It's called uh, In the Steps of Paul, and it is an illustrated guide to the apostle's life and journey. So if you're curious about his missionary journeys and really want to to look at some pictures of modern-day Corinth and every other place where he planted a church. 
you can check this book out today. I'll have it in the back during Koinonia, so be sure and look at it because it is a cool book. Uh, one of the books that I am referencing during our study through 1 Corinthians, and it's really, really cool to look at. It has maps. <laughs> Love maps. So Paul is addressing the problem of division. And part of this division in the Corinthian church is it's caused by people thinking they know it all. Is that surprising? <laughs> and so people are haughty in their knowledge. A knowledge has puffed up and they are using Hellenistic philosophy in their church doctrine. And Paul is really going to begin addressing this, like getting at this, what he calls the wisdom of the world. Um, as a point of division, and wouldn't it be great if we had an antidote to the division in the world? Wouldn't that be great? All this talk about vaccines and antidotes, wouldn't it be great if we had an antidote for division in the church and in the world? Wow. Um, here's a secret, we do have an antidote, <laughs> and Paul's going to give it to us this, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, let's start just... Just walk through this text. And it's not a, it's not a long text. Um, the concepts here are not difficult to grasp. Paul is very clear. So this morning, is there's going to be a lot of application that ties into this text. Starting in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, And when I came to you, brethren, on his second missionary journey, when he was... Um, fulfilling the mission of Christ, planting churches, sharing the gospel, serving people. When I came to you, brethren, I, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Now here Paul draws for us a dichotomy, a dichotomy between the superiority of speech, the wisdom of the world, and the message of God, the testimony of God's simple, expository preaching, teaching, a presentation of the simple gospel, a presentation of the explicit gospel. And, and he puts these two things at, at odds. Um, I, I want to point out a trend that I see in the world uh, and in the church, um, particularly from the pulpit today. We have quite a few people who stand up and philosophize and moralize and theologize and they talk about everything under the sun but miss the one thing that the Bible is about. And that's the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen. And here, Paul says, when I came, I was on, I was on mission for Christ. I had tunnel vision, this, this mission for Christ. Christ was the thing on my mind. Christ is the person I want you to know. So I talked about Christ. And it's not like Paul is uninformed about these other things, right? Look back to Acts chapter 17. Paul, he's in Athens, the, the birthplace of Hellenistic philosophy, the central hub of Hellenistic philosophy and, and, and of idol worship in the Greek world. He, he's in Athens and he's, he's sharing the gospel in the synagogue there and some Greeks hear him and they invite him to come to the Areopagus, Mars Hill, which is basically like Facebook of the day before the algorithms. <laughs> okay. Enough said about that. Um, <laughs> so Paul goes to Mars Hill, he goes to the Areopagus and... He starts sharing the gospel. But instead of just presenting the plain text, he 
starts with Hellenistic philosophy and the polytheism, and he starts talking about the poets and how they write concerning the unknown God, the maker of all gods, and, and he uses that as a platform upon which to share the gospel. Even when he did that, philosophy was not his content. Politics was not his content. Polytheism was not his content. He wasn't trying to get the Roman world to sign new legislation that agreed more with Christians than anyone else. But the content was the gospel and all of those other things, Paul's knowledge base, all the information he had within him that he took the time to learn intentionally, it, it merely served as a launching board for the gospel even in Athens. But in Acts 17, we see that Paul is in fact informed. He's trained in Hellenistic philosophy because he, he, he used it as a platform to share the gospel. He knows about other gods. He knows about the politics of the time. He keeps up with that information. He's not ignorant of what's going on. Yet, he, he forms this dichotomy. Like, I didn't come to you preaching that stuff, teaching that stuff. That's not my content. And as far as I use that other stuff, I, I, I simply use it as a platform, a launching board from which to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ the testimony of God. There are two different messages we as Christians pick from when we engage the world, particularly when we practice missions and evangelism and tell people about the God we love so much. One of those messages makes everything of the world our content, and that's what we address. And one of those messages simply proclaims the testimony of God. And where it uses that other stuff, it's a, simply a launching board to get the gospel to people. But the gospel is the content. And Paul is saying, I, I know about that other stuff, but I didn't come teaching you about that other stuff. That's not my, it's not my mission. It's not my goal. It's not my prerogative. I came to you proclaiming the testimony of God. For, this word can also be translated because... For I determined, resolved, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, I really want to think about this. What, what does it mean that Paul determined to know nothing except for Christ and Christ crucified? Now, he certainly had this information. He certainly kept up with this information. He was knowledgeable and wise. Paul was, he was smart. Book smart and street smart, I think. He had both, a rare breed. Yet he determined to know nothing. And again, I think this goes back to him just, that's not my, that's not my content. That's not my mission. That's not my goal. My goal is to tell you about my Jesus. To reveal to you who Jesus is and what Jesus is, is doing. And so I'm not going to get all caught up in worldly wisdom, the Hellenistic philosophy. 
Those, those are terrible masters. They are good slaves for the purpose of the gospel, but they are, they are terrible masters. The politics of the day and the, poly, and the polytheism, those, those are great slaves to use in order to launch the gospel, the gospel message. But they are terrible masters if those are the things we get caught up in. Instead, I'm going to determine simply to know Jesus and to know Jesus crucified. Why? Because I want you to know Jesus and Jesus crucified. Here we get a, a glimpse into Paul's heart. And, and maybe I get to share a little bit about my own heart with you. For ministry and for preaching and, and for teaching. I say precious little about politics from the pulpit. And when I do, it's those vague references like I just gave you. <laughs> like, uh, why? Because that's not the content of my message. It wasn't the content of Paul's message. The Christian is about the kingdom of heaven. Not a worldly kingdom. But it is important for us to vote and to vote our consciences is to vote according to what honors God and provided the opportunity. But listen, the world, the nations of this world will all pass away. Yes. And Christ's nation will be the only nation standing. Amen. And the content of our message is Christ and Christ crucified. And that's, that's Paul's heart. In a very Roman, heathen, terrible political world, with many gods and emperor worship, that's Paul's philosophy too. That's not the content of my message. Why? I want you to know Christ and Christ crucified. That's my agenda. I have no problem admitting that I have a very clear agenda from this pulpit. I want people to know Jesus. Amen. And I want people to know about what was accomplished in Christ's crucifixion. That message in itself is a very political message, but it's not the politics of this world. It's the politics of the kingdom of heaven. It's a theological message, but it's not, it's not about the plurality of gods that surround us. And did you know that we have many gods in America? It's about Christ exalting Him, His person, His work. Jesus and Jesus crucified. And Paul set the example for the Corinthian church. He served there as pastor for a year and a half, teaching them, raising them up, preparing them for his departure so he could go plant another church on his missionary journey. So he set the example for them in this, like, I determined that. I, I resolved that. This is the greatest struggle for the preacher. Yes. This is very limiting for any preacher. It limits the pulpit to the text at hand rather than everything that you know every pe preacher wants to rant about. <laughs> there are many things I could stand up here and say about many things that I have very strong opinions about. But God has limited the pulpit. One of the most difficult jobs for the preacher, and I'm sure... Paul too to, to, to practice self-control to limit ourselves to the, the text at hand to resolve 
to resolve to know nothing except Christ and Christ crucified. I, I consider myself a pretty intelligent guy. I don't know if you perceive me that way or not, but I, I consider myself a pretty intelligent guy. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and I'm pursuing a PhD. I'm a successful investor. I don't invest very much because I'm po. <laughs> but, but, I'm a, but I'm a successful investor anyway. <laughs> I've built businesses and ministries from the ground up. I can't think of, of a time when I failed at doing those things. I felt plenty of other things, but not those things. I stay informed. In order to invest successfully and to build successful businesses and ministries, you have to be informed about the world and, and, about, and about politics and, and about culture. In order to build a successful business, you know how to build a successful business? It doesn't matter what you're selling, but if you can identify with the people you're selling to, they'll buy it. That's how you build a successful business. You have to be informed about that. So I think I'm a pretty informed guy. Yet scripture instructs me as a preacher and as a pastor, and according to the example Paul, Paul left for the Corinthian church and every other church he planted, instructs me to resolve to know nothing except Christ and Christ crucified. And that's why I don't teach that other stuff from the pulpit. Christ and Christ alone. And he is, he is sufficient and his word is sufficient for all of life and for all of ministry. I know about what the philosophers taught. I know basic logic. And I've been trained in critical thinking and analysis. I can do that. But that is not my job here. It's to preach Christ. Christ. Crucified. And that was Paul's agenda too. So I think I'm in pretty good company. <laughs> is the example we receive from Scripture. And just as Paul set the example for the Corinthian church, so the pastor of the local church should set the example for the congregation in this to resolve to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. In fact, in First and Second Timothy, Paul writes to his student, Timothy, his mentee. <laughs> Timothy's having some problems with the church. <laughs> go, go figure, a church that has problems, okay. <laughs> Timothy's having some problems with the church. And first and second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, just give up. <laughs> That's not what he says. He says, instruct them. With patient endurance, this is a summary, with patient endurance, with love, love and kindness, understanding that God grants repentance, deal with the false teachers, love everyone else. Patience, kindness, endurance, Timothy. For the love of God, quite literally, for the love of God, patient endurance. For Christ's name's sake and for the good of the congregation, patient endurance. Through this tribulation that you are in. He says, instruct, instruct the people not to fight about myths. Again, getting back at division, what 1 Corinthians is, is addressing, the antidote for division. Instruct them not to argue about myths. Instruct them not to wrangle over words. 
but to focus on what? Christ and his work. The message of Christ and the mission of Christ. Instruct them to focus on these things. Why? When, when we love Jesus, and if we're all together focused on, on the message and mission of Jesus, are we going to be divided? No, that is the antidote, that is the cure. Verse 3, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I, this is Paul, I was with you in weakness and in fear with much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of, and of power. In weakness and in fear with trembling. It's not normally how we think of the Apostle Paul. We have this picture of the Apostle Paul like he was... And he would go in, boldness, John, Jonathan Edwards style, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And that's not the picture Paul presents of himself. Fear and trembling. Weakness. Do you understand that the gospel is not like the wisdom of the world? Have I said that yet? The gospel is a different kind of message. Nobody is going to be persuaded by a message that sounds something like this to the, to the ear of a sinner, someone who doesn't have ears to hear. Here's what it sounds like. Are you ready? You're an idiot. You're going to hell. And you need to apologize to God or you're going to burn forever. That's, that's pretty much what it sounds like. It's not attractive. But the wisdom of the world. Hey, if you do this and you invest here and you vote this way, you're going to be a success and you're going to get rich and you're going to have this massive support system because you agree with people politically and you can get the whole nation to serve you. Wisdom of the world. You know what the wisdom of the world sounds like? If you can debate people and argue people into agreeing with you or prove other people to be wrong, you will be strong and you will be victorious and you will be successful and you will prove that you are better than those other people. That's the wisdom of the world. Well, my, that sounds pretty good. That sounds like a position I want to take. Power, yes. Success, yes. Wealth, oh yes. But the message of the gospel is not like that. Instead, we come in and we say, hey, you've sinned against a pure and holy God, and he desires your repentance. That's the gospel invitation. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now that seems weak compared to the message of the world, doesn't it? It's a, that's a fearful thing to go into a community of people who don't know Christ and to present a message like that. Oh, people are going to 
People are going to tear you up. Or you cast your pearls before swine, and they're going to trample that. They're going to rip you to pieces. This is a message that we, we, do not, we do not present from a position of power. I mean, we can't. We, we can't. This is a message we present from weakness. That's why Christ calls us to be a, a meek people. Sheep in the midst of wolves. And that's the language Christ uses to, to describe his, his followers, his disciples. Presenting a message that the world can't even hear. Unless the Holy Spirit gets them and says, hey, listen up. That's not, that's not, that's not attractive. And it's countercultural. In weakness and in fear, in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of, of wisdom. Again, what is the wisdom of the world? Paul didn't, Paul didn't come in and say, hey, let's start with emperor worship and let's Let's work our way to Christ and try to be as inclusive as, as possible. Look at all of these statues to these, to these gods. And you have a statue to the unknown God. He's, he's just one of, he's, a, he's another God. Let me tell you about another God. That wasn't the message. No, Paul came in and said, yeah, we'll use this as a launching board, but I got to tell you, all of these are false gods. There is only one most high God, and he sent his Messiah to forgive your sin, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that's scary. But the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the world in our day is philosophy. No, we're a philosophical people. I love philosophy, so this kind of hurts me a little bit. <laughs> we're a philosophical people. It's philosophy. It's the wisdom of the world. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's evil. I, I am saying it's, it's a better slave than master. The wisdom of the world is philosophy of our day. Astronomy, physics, biology. Genetics, technology. This is, that's the wisdom of the world today. Paul is familiar with some of those things, like we read in Acts 17. People today have many gods, and, and most of these gods are gods of self-actualization, intellect, especially in the Western world. That's, that's the wisdom of the world today. money and how to make a lot of it the wisdom of the world today and again money itself is not evil but the love of money is yeah a great slave a terrible master the power of God is different and Paul says I didn't come to you with the wisdom of the world but with the with the power of God demonstration of the Spirit of God and the power of, of God. Now how does just a simple resolving to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified, how does that exhibit 
the Spirit and power of God. How does that demonstrate the Spirit and power of God? Well, think about it. Uh, Paul is not proclaiming a message that the world can hear. And so if, by some miraculous work, somebody hears it and goes, oh, crap, I need to repent and believe in Jesus. The only explanation is that the Spirit got a hold of that person. There's no logical explanation for that. I heard the gospel for years growing up. And at every turn, I was like, that's ridiculous. (laughs) But then when I was 15 years old, I wasn't even at church. (laughs) Nobody was even teaching the gospel. (laughs) I was was at a Bible camp, but it was the first night. You're having fun on the first night. You're not in the Bible yet. I was there to pick up... Sorry, babe. (laughs) I wasn't interested in the gospel. I was a typical teenage boy. I was interested in typical teenage boy things. That's it. And I was weird about it too, but I won't get into that. I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, like, conviction that I can't explain, like, overturns my whole life in a moment. I'm getting ready to have fun, and then all this conviction, and I had to go find a camp counselor, because I'm like, I'm bawling my eyes, and I'm like, I think I need to repent. (laughs) Only the Spirit, only the Spirit does that. And the power of God, what is the power of God? The power of God? When Paul's like, I'm weak, I'm feeble, I'm fearful, but I'm presenting you the power of God, how does that work? Well, that's interesting. The power of God. Romans chapter, what's the key verse in Romans? Anybody know? This is important. Close. It's in chapter 1. <laughs> Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. Because it is the power of God. Amen. What is the power of God? The gospel. The good news. The message about Christ and Christ's work. Do you want to experience the power of God? And to anybody else you know, watching this right now or who will watch it later, do you want to experience the power of God? Stop resorting to human wisdom to run the church of God. Preach. Preach. Stop resorting to human wisdom to do missions, the mission work of God, and evangelism. Try to be attractive to the world. Look, if you're attractive to the world, you're going to build a church full of worldly people. Not people moved by the Spirit. Not people under the influence of the power of God, which is the gospel. No, we want to build a church. We want our community to experience real revival. We resolve to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. And take, like, like we saw two weeks ago, and take every opportunity, political or otherwise, as a launching board for the gospel, not as a launching board for personal complaints. That doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God as a platform to share the gospel. 
I was talking with, with a buddy of mine the other day on Thursday. We ran up to, to Wilcox and we were having a conversation in the car. And uh, he said, you know, there's a lot of terrible stuff happening today. I said, yep, I agree. He said, but you know what? It's going to present a, a lot of opportunities for the church. Amen. It's not, I mean, it's going to present opportunities for the church to complain for sure. Not all sorts. Of, there are all kinds of things to complain about if we really want to. Let's be honest about that. There always, always has been, always will be. But what if we resolved? What if we resolved to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified? And everything that comes down, we speak the gospel into that and we speak life into that. We are, we are concerned about the, the message and the mission of Christ. What if? Oh, do you think we could change this world in the name of Jesus? Or rather, do you think Christ would use us to change his world as, as he takes it over and establishes his nation? I, I think so. It all comes back to the gospel. You want to see the power of God? Proclaim the gospel. We want the power of God in the midst of our community. We... We measure one another not by our works or by our opinions or by, or by our politics or, or, or whatever. We preach the gospel to one another over and over again. The depths of the gospel, the word of, of God. That's why we preach expositorily. And that's why from this pulpit, the preacher is bound to the text at hand, not ranting about whatever he wants. This, this is the standard we set as a church. And Paul, Paul gives his reason in verse 5, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. How many Christians do you know? Or rather, former Christians do you know? Who left the church because it wasn't working for them. Who said, no, I don't want anything to do with to do with Jesus because somebody's presenting me these problems and I don't see how they overcome the text. I'm not making a statement against apologetics. Okay, I studied that too and I love apologetics. I wrote a book about that. You should read it. <laughs> so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, not be built by the wisdom of men. If I persuade you to follow Christ because of everything all the perks you'll get by following Christ because you'll because you'll you won't have to go to hell or because this makes the most sense logically and rationally well it does but worldly people can't see that or if we raise our children and instead of preaching to them the gospel we make it like this expectation that they will they will just be of Christianity rather than following Christ. Does that make sense? We raise our people to be churchy rather than Christians. That type of faith will fall. The only faith that survives is faith that's built upon the power of God, the gospel. And the sincere repentance of the individual, not expecting Christianity to work for me because Christianity wasn't designed to to work for humanity. It was designed to exalt Jesus Christ and glorify God. Amen. The Bible is perfectly clear about that. That we would 
by the faith given to us, trust God. Reason things out. Yes, please, please do. Strive for that. Seek to know the truth. Yes, please do. Strive for that. Always be growing in, in knowledge. Knowledge, I mean, knowledge is some kind of power, even if we are to be meek. Seek knowledge, yes, but don't let it be your master. And I need to listen to that too and not, not allow it to be my master. Paul's goal here is not to point people toward human politics and say, find your identity in that, or the gods invented by people and say, find your identity in that, or to point people toward the emperor and say, yeah, worship him. Paul's goal is not to present himself as a spiritual guru, someone who knows it all. How many times is that the perception we have of our preachers and our pastors? Or the expectation, rather, that this guy needs to know everything about everything. And this guy needs to have the perfect political position. And the perfect eschatology. That's a study of end times, right? The perfect, the perfect gospel presentation. The perfect administrative capability. <laughs> oh, yeah. How many times do we look at our, our pastors and the elders of the church and say that stuff? When Paul writes, no, no, we don't want you to rest on the wisdom of men. We don't, we don't want that to be your faith. My job, Paul writing, my job, which means the, the pastor's job, the elder's job, which means the job of every Christian as a priest in Christ's kingdom, Paul's setting the example here for all of us is, to know Christ and to tell others about Christ and the preacher should have more biblical knowledge probably than most people sitting in the congregation. He should know more about Christ and about the kingdom and the work Christ is doing probably than most people sitting in the church because if he doesn't then well who's going to really grow as a result? You understand? But that's his knowledge base. The person and work of Christ. The gospel. God. And we try not to be haughty in that or prideful in that. We invest in someone who, who knows about what God has revealed about himself because we want to know too and we want to learn and we want him to teach us. We, we want the preaching to be just a little over our heads. <laughs> Because if it's not, we have nothing to reach for, nothing to grasp. The application of this text is pretty simple. We determine not to rest our faith on the wisdom of the world by, one, determining to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. Two, refusing Refusing to fight about myths and wrangle about words. And three, resolving to share the message, the promise of God alone. Essentially, the call today, brothers and sisters, is for us, the body of Christ, priests in Christ's kingdom, to live on mission.
have that tunnel vision Paul talks about. Everything that comes up, it, it comes into that tunnel, the car, and then right to the gospel. Everything, every opportunity God provides in this world, everything that you realize God's working together, the atmosphere, our current culture, he's working that together because he's sovereign. Why do you think he's working that together? Because it's what we want? Well, well no, right? <laughs> he's working it together so that we can speak life into whatever happens. Well, blind men are not blind because they sinned against God. Blind men are blind so that the Father receives glory in their blindness. Crippled men are not crippled because they sin against God. They're, they're crippled because God designed them and worked together the circumstances of their lives so He might receive glory in that. Whether He heals them or not, God, God provides for His glory. It's all about, it really is all about Him. And, and the message about him and what he is doing, the gospel, that is the power of God. Not what I can do or work together or attract or philosophize or theologize or whatever. It's God in Christ. James chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. In the exercise of his, it's God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Uh, this is James. I thought, I thought the book of James was supposed to be all about works. <laughs> Yet James talks about the will of God. By the will of God, God brought us forth by the word of truth. The gospel, because that's the power of God. The word of truth. Testimony about, about Christ. And Christ is truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Like, that's how God brought us forth. So that, there's a purpose here. So that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Mm. Well, if we are first fruits, how, how, how did God bring us to himself? The gospel, mm. the power of God. And if we are the first fruits, that means there will be others. How do others come to God? The gospel, the proclamation of the gospel. So he brings us to himself, the first fruits, rather the apostles, right here, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, by the gospel. And they proclaimed what? The gospel, resolving to know nothing else. But the gospel, here's the gospel, here's Christ. And by that gospel, God brings forth more people. And every generation, if we are faithful to the gospel, as we are faithful to the gospel, God is bringing forth his creatures. And I find that wording so interesting, his creatures, not just humanity, but he's, Christ really did come to save the whole world. And there's a lot that goes into that. Verse 19, I'm not preaching this text this morning, I'm preaching the other text. This is a cross reference. This, you know, my beloved brethren, but he said, he said, you know this. God, God saved you with the gospel. And as you proclaim the gospel, he's saving others after you. Your first fruits. But, you know this. But, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? Well, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Proclaim the gospel. Be aware of what's going on in the world. 
politically and culturally, ecclesiastically, church, church, churchly. That's what ecclesiastically means. But don't get angry about it. You don't have to be reactive to it because your, your trust is in the sovereign God and your hope is in his promise. Not the knowledge of the world. You don't have to be reactive. You don't have to get angry about that. Watch your passion because passion can get you in trouble. Zealousness is, is good, but it can get you in trouble. But trust me, I know about that. <laughs> I, was, I was a cage stager once, if you know what that is. For the, somebody laughed. Thank you. Thank you back there. <laughs> For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. No, what accomplishes the righteousness of God? The, the presentation of the gospel and the working together of all circumstances for the purpose of Christ's message and mission. That's, that's what this whole life is about. Brothers and sisters, let's be on mission for our God.